So Brian, anything got you stumped on this whole uh, online marketing thing? Anything you'd like me to clear up for you before we wrap up season one? Yeah, I got a question for you, Robert. Who does your hair? Internet marketing for smart people. Radio. Weekly tips for building and marketing your profitable business online. From copyblogger.com. Robert Bruce here with the founder and CEO of Copyblogger Media, Brian Clark. Well, this is it, man. 24 episodes and season one is uh, almost in the books here. Uh, what, what do you think? Yeah, that's interesting. You know, we started out, we didn't want to call it a podcast, so we call it a radio show. And uh, then we want to take the summer off, so we treat it like it's a sitcom, even though we're not that funny. Well, speak um, for yourself on that one. Well, that's true. You are pretty funny looking. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get back on track here. Listen, you think you're funny. Oh, we got it. So we're doing, <laughs> but we're going to do something a little different today. Uh, we've, we've opened up this final show to questions from listeners, and we're going to answer as many of them as we can. Are you ready to take a grilling from, from these people? Absolutely. Okay. First one's a doozy, man. How do I get my very first copywriting client? And let me make an, a, a certain assumption with this one is no connections, no major web presence, no, you know, all of that. How do I get my first copywriting clients? Well, you know, if you're a copywriter, um, the presumption is that you can write. And it's always been my uh, opinion that that gives you an unfair advantage uh, at online marketing because it's all about great content, right? So, you know, you've, you've got to start your site. You've got to get uh, started with uh, social networks, Twitter and Facebook at a minimum. And, you know, you got to start creating great content. Now, the one thing that I'll say, and of course, this is going to sound like I'm trying to eliminate competition for Copyblogger, but that's, <laughs> that's not really the issue. If I, because Copyblogger was never intended to attract copywriting uh, clients. Um, but the thing I see that a lot of copywriters do, they have, they write great. Um, they know what they're talking about. Um, but they focus too much on writing tips, um, instead of what the people that want to hire them are really interested in because the people that are going to hire a copywriter don't want to write. And the brutal truth is they really don't even want to hire a copywriter. If they could get away without hiring you, they would, right? But hopefully they've been educated to a point that they know they need help. And I always tell copywriters not to really market themselves as a writer, but more as a marketing consultant and have your content focused on solving the problem that business owners or business executives who are in charge of hiring these type of people are really concerned with, which is making money, you know, I mean, that's really what they're focused on. They're they're trying to grow their business. Uh, if you've got a small business client, is it really money that they want? Even money is a means to an end. They want, you know, they want to grow their business so they have more freedom, more time with their family, all these kind of benefits. So, you know, this is classic copywriting 101. Um, and yet I see a lot of copywriters focusing on on giving out writing advice when what they really ought to be giving is marketing advice because people have marketing problems uh, that they want to solve in order to get the benefits they're looking for, which is, you know, ranges on up from a bigger market presence to more money to more time with the family. So you could, could you say you want to do to your potential clients what they want you to do, you know, for them? Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. it's, it's the old thing that you're, you're basically um, practicing while you preach what you preach um, while you're doing your marketing. And you are, again, you don't have to say, I write for you. What you have to say is, I get you more customers, clients, money, freedom. You know, it's think about ultimate benefits because the other good side of positioning yourself that way is, Everyone thinks they can write to some degree, and no one wants to pay writers 
some people are smart enough to know how valuable writers are. Some people aren't. Um, so the safest thing to do is not say I'm a writer for hire, just say I'm an online marketing consultant and I do what needs to be done to market in, in today's online environment. And what's that? That means creating content. So, you know, there's a huge market out there, even for people who are more uh, just pure entrepreneurs who can manage writers. But you know me, I'm an advocate for the writer. Learn the business skills. Make sure you understand, uh, you know, again, understand what the benefits of your target market are actually looking for. It kills me when I hear a copywriter say, hey, I just write. I'm not a marketer. <laughs> I'm like, then you're not a copywriter. You know, there's a lot of people trying to present themselves as copywriters when really all they do is create content. Uh, if you don't understand the marketing side of it, you're, you're probably not going to make it because everyone wants to underpay a writer, but they'll pay good money to someone who basically demonstrates that they understand how to grow uh, the client's business. I know your answer to this one, but just, just one more thing on this. What do you think of posting to sites, you know, like sites like Elance, you know, um, where there's a huge market of writers on there. It kind of seems like the easy thing to do. But um, what's your what's your opinion on stuff like that? Is it really a shortcut? I mean, if you are literally starving and, you know, two days away from living under the freeway, then, of course, take any work you can get to survive. But as a long term strategy, that's a race to the bottom. It's uh, the people who use those sites are looking for the cheapest source, not the best source. So uh, it's better to demonstrate your value and your skill and, and note I said demonstrate, you know, by creating content and marketing and using social media. Because, again, that's how Copyblogger was built, by demonstrating instead of claiming we were anything. Uh, we just did it. Uh, almost to a fault, we were practicing on our audience what we were telling them to do. So it's so much more, you know, it, uh, demonstrating instead of proclaiming. Uh, what other people say about you is more important than what you say about yourself. That's social media marketing uh, in giving value to other people so that they sing your praises. Uh, so you're not necessarily just sitting there blowing your own horn. Next one's from Maddie Page. Maddie asks, how do you create an online marketing strategy that is comprehensive and compatible with an offline strategy? What are the major things to keep in mind when developing, uh, she calls it a holistic marketing strategy. So both online and offline. Is there a connection there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, I will preface this by saying that we don't do any offline marketing. And even with my last um, couple companies, I didn't do any offline marketing. I solely did online. And, uh, you know, 10 years, 12 years later, you know, online has become the most important channel because that's where people are going to look, you know, I mean, people may notice a billboard, they may see a print ad in the newspaper or a magazine or, you know, hear a radio commercial. Uh, but when they're actively looking, that's a very important distinction psychologically between their motivation level. And that's why content marketing is so valuable because they're not necessarily going online just to buy immediately. They're going to find information. So I'll just say that online is uh, becoming such an important channel that uh, you can certainly build an entire business just with online marketing. And I've done it with an offline business three times and and now with Copyblogger. So that said, that out of the way. Integrated offline, online marketing is so crucial. And, and there's some things that I, I see that kind of make me scratch my head. Um, so from an online perspective, uh, we always preach that your site is the center, your property, your media property, to put it more uh, accurately, because you are producing content, not just a brochure website. Um, Facebook, Twitter, the goal there, you know, we, we see people, you know, kind of building a Facebook presence and that's like their home base, which is ridiculous considering that you don't own that and that Zuckerberg keeps changing the rules and invading everyone's privacy at 
<laughs> at the did you hear about the facial recognition thing? Whoops. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> I mean, the, the really scary thing, of course, is that Facebook changes the rules all the time, especially with regard to business pages, right? Hmm. Um, so you could have a strategy that works and you wake up one day and, and Facebook has taken it away from you. Anyway, um, so, you know, Twitter, uh, you can converse all you want on Twitter, but if you're not driving traffic back to your site, you're kind of wasting your time from a marketing standpoint. So it, it's always to drive traffic to your own site. Now, of course, there are many ways to use offline marketing um, to, uh, once you've got their attention, maybe they didn't think that they wanted certain information on their own and, and then go to Google, um, but they do notice your, your, uh, your print ad or they do hear your radio commercial. I'm seeing a lot of companies, big brands with big, expensive, you know, six, seven figure websites sending people to their Facebook page. Yeah, what the heck is going on with that? Well, I think what they're thinking is that, well, everyone's on Facebook, like 700 million people now. So they're on Facebook, and therefore uh, we should give them our Facebook page since they're already there. But think about that for a second. They're offline. They're going to have to type in <laughs> Something. the URL, right? Even if they're on Facebook right now, they have to type in your page, right? They have. To. So if, if you think about smart online marketing as all these social network sites are just um, satellites where you send in you know, qualified traffic to your ultimate site, if you're going to have a radio ad or a print ad, why wouldn't you send them to your own site? And not to your homepage, by the way, which is another mistake. You want to send them to a targeted landing page that acknowledges where they came from and is congruent on what Brian Eisenberg calls, calls um, keeping the scent, which is no, the words good. and the images that you, that you encountered in the um, advertisement itself are repeated back to the visitor on that landing page when they get there. And you can do that. You have complete control over creating a page on your site compared to your Facebook page, which could be, you know, the, your wall, which changes every 20 seconds, depending mm -hmm. on how much activity you have. So the main thing about integrated offline and online is you have offline goals, you have offline channels, uh, you know, prompting telephone calls or whatever, but the main thing is to use your offline marketing um, collateral to get people to a targeted page on your site. And one of the most effective ways to do that is, again, not a straight pitch for whatever you're selling, but instead, um, we, we found this really applicable in the real estate industry, what you advertise is information um, and an easy way uh, no obligation way for them to get it. And, and that is actually a much stronger lead generation tool than a straight up pitch and a URL. Okay. So let me give you an example of that. Um, in, in real estate, a lot of time people are very wary of contacting a realtor because you don't know who you're going to get. Could be friendly, helpful Fred, or it could be annoying, grating Margie who, you know, tries to push you into a house or whatever. So people are just really skeptical about making that first con comment, uh, contact, sorry. So, you know, if you advertise, call me and I'll give you X, um, your response is at a certain fairly low rate. If you say, call this toll-free number um, and hear a free recorded message, i.e., you don't have to talk to me. You can get this without interacting with me. Response goes through the roof. Hmm. So you have to understand who you're talking to and ease them into a relationship as opposed to trying to propose marriage on the first date. So a little offline content marketing, really, I mean, uh, in terms of easing them in. And yeah, you have to realize content marketing started offline in the direct mail industry, you know, yeah. uh, even back to the days of Ogilvy and his ads, like when he did the, the Guinness Guide, you know, yeah. um, 
it's been around for a while. And, the, and you'll notice the names that are associated with the early forms of content marketing are some of the, you know, richest guys in the world who had to, you know, retire to a castle, poor guy. <laughs> It's because it works, people. <laughs> anyway, I mean, that's my main tip for, for integrating yeah. um, offline, which is be very specific about where you send people and send them to a place that you have complete control over so that the congruence between where they came from and where they end up is very tight uh, because that's been demonstrated again and again to up your conversion rates. All right. Grocery Geek asks, are people more likely to watch video uh, video clips or read articles. Um, she's torn between which format to use, uh, you know, her blog or Facebook and like some guidance on uh, one versus the other. And there really is not a uh, single answer to this. It depends. And uh, let's move on to the next question. <laughs> uh, let, me, let me take a stab <laughs> at it. You're right. It does depend. It depends on the audience, the market. Um, speaking in generalities here, most people in consumer uh, kind of mass market to the extent the mass market exists anymore, um, topics and niches, um, they want video. They don't read. People don't read. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yep. um, They have terrible attention spans. Um, uh, the reading comprehension levels of, you know, even in Western countries is not that great. So in a lot of arenas, video is the way to go. Um, and that's why you're seeing the explosion in, in video and, and why Google acquired YouTube and, you know, all of the signs are there now. And you're like, well, wait a minute, Copyblogger doesn't use a lot of video. And I'm like, well, because our audience likes to read, <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and we're finding that people will watch video depending on what it is. But you know, a, a lot of people who write and market are readers and they want to, they want to experience the content in that form, um, especially so that they can kind of scan the article like people do online, see if it's relevant to them and, uh, and then decide whether to invest further in it. So the answer is it depends, but the overall trend uh, is towards more video. Uh, that's, a topic worthy of, you know, 15 radio shows right there. But uh, yeah, we're, we're going to experiment more with video um, than we have in the past. Uh, it, again, it's just got to be tied to your audience. Um, all the data shows that generally, you know, short videos do better than long. There are certain areas where people will sit through a much longer video. So Robert's right. The answer is it depends, but Learn more about video and figure it out um, because even with a reading crowd, uh, video is very engaging. And the other thing I'll say is, you know, historically from an SEO standpoint, you know, you, it was hard to get videos uh, to rank because there's no text for the algorithm, you know, to recognize. But of course, that's changing again with Google acquiring YouTube. You're starting to see in many uh, areas that uh, a good video is ranking in the top five results in very competitive, yeah. you know, markets because uh, that Google is trying to do, you know, integrate search in. When we have true video search, I think things are really going to explode even more with video. Yeah. And this shows a, a, an interesting example of that, not video specifically, obviously, but it, it it's a very, um, small slice of the copy blogger audience that actually listens to this radio show week in and week out. We're going to talk a little more specifically about that, but, um, and that's because those people, those people prefer, maybe not even prefer, but they enjoy audio. They can take it with them. So, um, yeah, that's a good point because grocery geek didn't even, you know, offer us audio as a, an option, but yeah. I won't watch video. Yeah, uh, I won't either. Um, and, but that I'm not normal and neither are you. I think that's been established. So <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty securely. Yeah. Um, but audio, even for people who like watching television or video or whatever, audio has the distinct advantage of being portable uh, and also attention independent, yep. which may or may not be a good thing, but I can, you know, it's like talk radio. You can listen to it while you're doing something else. Right. Yep. 
Um, you can listen to audio on the go, uh, at the gym, in the car, uh, areas where video is discouraged, um, especially the car, <laughs> <laughs> at least if you're driving. Yeah. So yeah, don't rule out audio either because audio can be very powerful. It's so much easier for people to get that emotional connection with you, uh, through your, uh, the sound of your voice and your, uh, you know, just all the stuff that you have to work really hard to get across voice in written text is just a natural when it's your actual voice. Yep. So, all right. Uh, Karina Alvilla, Karina, sorry if I mispronounced your last name there. Um, what to, what do you do if you're posting great content and uh, questions on your social media pages, but still getting no engagement. And let's, for the sake of this question, let's assume that she really is posting great stuff. We have no way of knowing uh, at the moment here, but let's just assume that it really is good, engaging, compelling content. But what, what if you're not getting the kind of engagement that you think, I mean, we all think we deserve more than we're getting, right? But um, if she is putting out good stuff and nothing's really moving, what do you think? I just, I mean, this is a classic uh, question and a classic example that's all too common, but um, the whole myth behind content is king is that all you have to do is create content. And there are lots of people out there who've created great stuff. Um, we mm. were talking about some examples, you know, earlier you and I offline. Um, people who create good stuff and expect the world to flock to them. The Kevin Costner syndrome, if you build it, they'll come, right? Mm. Yep. Uh, no, they won't. Um, unless you get lucky and someone just stumbles across it and it can happen and it does happen. And unfortunately, I think the times when it does happen reinforces the fact that all you have to do is create great content. There's two parts of the equation, great content and distribution. Now, the great thing about distribution online and social media is people do it for you and they do it for free. It's not like the movie studios and their distribution channels or even the television networks or radio, right? Which big money, lots involved. That's why they were the purveyors of, of media and we were just consumers. Well, now we're all of the above. Um, not everyone will create great content, but anyone, you know, with a Twitter or Facebook account can spread it for you. So how do you make that happen? Well, you've got to get the initial spark and I, I tell people all the time, I, I tell the story of the first three months of Copy Blogger, how, you know, not only did I bust out the best content and the best kind of event ideas I could to try to get that initial, you know, spark where things start to take over on their own, uh, but I did all sorts of behind the scenes networking. I mean, back at that time, that was back before Facebook and Twitter. So I was really just, you know, trying to establish relationships, commenting on blogs, sending emails, um, you know, and then a combination of doing all that. Uh, I got my first big link and then I got my first big um, sort of flurry of attention when I released a free report that pretty much every major blogger uh, linked to, mostly positive. One was even negative and that was awesome. You know, I mean, it was like, <laughs> it was the event though, you know, but it yeah. didn't happen because I wrote the report. It happened because I wrote the report and then I worked it. You know, you do have to hustle to get the initial spark, but I'm telling you, you know, six, five years later, um, if you are truly creating great content and we are, we are, you know, supposing that's the case, if you can get that initial spark, it pretty much will continue to grow. Um, and how much more you want to spend hustling? You know, I spent the first two years really focused on, you know, creating great stuff and uh, distributing it, and that meant forming relationships, um, reaching out to people, not being shy without being pushy either. Right? It's always on. Hey, this is good for your audience. If you have time, take a look, as opposed to, you know, why don't you link to me? Which, you know, <laughs> that's not a very compelling <laughs> argument. So it's, con it's con content creation and content promotion, both absolutely necessary. If you're missing, if you're messing up, 
you know, Rand Fishkin of SEO Moz says, you know, mediocre content and great promotion does better than great content alone. And he's right, unfortunately. It shouldn't be that way, but there's a lot of things about life that aren't fair. So yeah, we got to do, we got to do a whole show on promotion actually, because that's something that is, you know, I, people generally either have, you know, a gut reaction against it or, you know, you fall into just kind of the laziness thing of just not wanting to do it and therefore not doing it. But I'd love to do, uh, let's do that on, uh, in season two. Yeah. And in, in the meantime, go back to the show where I interviewed Tim Ferriss. And, you know, Tim Ferriss is like a superhero now, and he's a you know, best-selling author, and he's got a very popular blog. But no one wants to remember what it was like when Tim started out lonely and cold in the dark, like all of us do, you know. <laughs> but, you know, he started the blog. He'd written the book. Both are going nowhere. So he went to a conference and, uh, you know, met Robert Scoble. They talk, they hit it off. Next thing you know, Scoble becomes an advocate for the book and it's a home run, okay? He went to a show, you know? I mean, and, and there's people, a lot of people who just sit there and go, why isn't it happening for me? And it, it doesn't happen for anyone. One way or another, you have to establish that spark. And it happens from relationships. If you can get it done by email or over Twitter or over Facebook, that's what Twitter and Facebook are not only content distribution networks, but they're relationship networks. So you don't have to cold email. You can develop a relationship without invading someone's inbox uninvited by retweeting them, you know, answering questions, asking questions, being, you know, ma basically making yourself of use, hmm. right? And that's what the other aspect of social networking that's so important. Dude, I know. I know the truth. I know you were born with 150,000 subscribers, so... Come on. Yeah. Right. All right. Jeff Goins, um, when is the ideal time to monetize a blog? Can you do it prematurely and blow everything or um, can you wait too long? You can do both. Um, but really, um, it's kind of a, a funny question because, you know, when I started Copyblogger, I didn't monetize it for almost two years. Part of that was because I was in a cynical market and I wanted to establish trust. And let, you know, as I've said many times, in 2006, saying the word sell and blog in the same sentence was taboo. Pitchforks right? and uh, it was heresy. Yeah. Um, except, you know, it, that was the case to the blogging elite, if you will, but not to the people out there who are like, Hell yeah, I want to learn how to do mm. that, right? So there was a, I, I knew there was a desire in the marketplace for it, and yet I knew that the the guard, the, uh, the the old guard at that point wasn't going to like it. And again, that actually worked to my advantage. Um, so, but I always tell people that's a bad example. Do not wait two years, <laughs> you know. And the other question, you know, thing for me was I didn't know what I was going to do. I knew if I built the audience that they would tell me uh, what they wanted and they did. And that's how teaching sales was born uh, as our first product. Anyway. So my true answer to Jeff is you can, you can have an existing business. I mean, Jeff's a copywriter, so you can all have your services um, offered for sale on day one. The only thing that I, that I stress is that the content stream, which is your marketing, um, has to be separate more or less from a value standpoint. And what I'm saying is there's got to be more value than pitching, which, you know, I think is kind of obvious of the content marketing model. Um, but go to uh, the post uh, from this week from, uh, from Jeff Livingston you know, thinking like a trade journalist. I mean, when you think about it, Copyblogger is a, is like a trade magazine, you know. Um, we, we provide way more advice than we do pitches for our products, and yet our products do fantastically well. So um, you can monetize, if you will, from, one, from day one um, if, you're, if you're actually selling something like your services or even um, or products as long as you're providing independent value. You know, that's content marketing, uh, providing content with independent value that's related to what you sell. Now, when you talk about 
the other kind of blog monetization, which involves advertisements and AdSense and stuff like that, which we don't do and we don't recommend. Um, you know, uh, Darren over at ProBlogger uh, is more into that kind of thing. And I think his answer is um, for that kind of stuff, you should you should go easy on it early on because building an audience is, is much more important. Um, but if you wait too long, you may have a rebellion on your, on your hands. Now that I think that was more the case, you know, about three or five years ago, not so much anymore. Hmm. You know, uh, you got to remember we went from um, me being a heretic by saying blog and sell. And then a couple of years later we had shoe money and John Chow. I mean, things have evolved. <laughs> <Of course. laughs> so on the content note, um, this is a good one from Eric Yuzwa. Uh, is there such a thing as giving away too much free content? That's a great question. In many cases from, again, from a marketing standpoint, the answer is no, there is no such thing as giving away too much free content. Um, and, and let me qualify that. So if you are selling your services, and this is the one I see the most. I, I even saw this in my early days when I was doing an email newsletter to basically uh, sell my legal services to keep you know the doors open while I tried to build the other stuff. You would see lawyers saying, I can't, you know, I can't give away legal information because, you know, what if they do it themselves? And I'm like, what? You know, you're licensed by the court. You've got like a monopoly on <laughs> on uh, on doing this. But <laughs> it, it doesn't matter what field you're in. Um, you can tell people how to do it completely and you will sell more than if you didn't. And that's all you care about. And yet some people get hung up on, well, but some people are going to go off and do it themselves based on this information I gave them. I'm like, so? Are you selling more than you would have otherwise? Hmm. That's all that matters. But, you know, people are funny. They they just feel like they're being taken advantage of as they go to the bank to deposit more money. I don't get that. So if you're selling services, you can never give away too much because that's what makes people um, decide to hire you. That confidence and that demonstration of expertise to the point where, you know, it, it could be, you could be a plumber who tells me exactly how to fix yep. my leak under my sink, and I still might call you because I'll screw it up or I just don't have time. You know, we, we live in a service economy. Yeah. You oh, know? I'm going to call him. I, no he one, can tell yeah, me no step by does step. Yep. themselves. We don't walk our own dogs, you know? I yep. mean, yep. so service industry people, give it all away. Uh, you'll, you'll make more money. Um, also, for most products, I don't see how you could give away too much content. Uh, certainly with software, uh, the more you tell, the more you sell, and the more ways you can show how the benefits apply in the real world is the key there. So the only way you can give away too much free content is if you're selling content, mm. right? And even then... You know, you can almost give it all away in text form and then offer a video course that, you know, uh, presents the same information in a more learner friendly way, especially if you're in one of those markets where people uh, learn best, you know, through uh, visual and, and auditory learning, you know, uh, then you've also got um, the Eugene Schwartz method who made a fortune off of selling how-to books Um he was also a master copywriter, as you know. Um, but his his strategy was to give away the best part of the book. Hmm. And, uh, <laughs> and the sales went through the roof because people, you know, they need to know the rest, right? Hmm. Uh, and, and it's kind of like the uh, that strategy can backfire in movie trailers because, you know. Give away the plot. Yeah, you give away all the best parts and there's nothing else good. Um Schwartz's books were all good. It's just he gave away the, the magic nugget, and you needed the surrounding information in order to implement anyway, right? Yep. The opposite of that is what Sean DeSouza calls the bikini method, which is you basically give away everything but the golden nugget. Um, and he calls it the bikini method because, you know, you can show 90% 
of the goods and people are still going to be anxious to see that last 10%, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> which is a bit of a racy analogy. <laughs> and it's Sonia's favorite, which I love because, you know, it's <laughs> yeah, it makes it okay. Uh, it makes it okay the- that Sonia is the one who's, who loves the <laughs> concept. So, yeah. And that is, that is actually, it's a striking a stuff as far as content. And you can still, um, you can still sell uh, based on the same subject matter. We've always taken the approach of giving away. Um, we're mostly a software company now, heavily in that direction. But for example, with teaching sales, I mean, we give away content marketing stuff all the time, day in and day out on Copyblogger. But teaching sales is, you know, related but different. So that's also another strategy. So you can give away tons of content. Um, in one channel and then again, sell, uh, high level premium information on a related, but distinct channel. Hmm. All right. Jay Walsh asking about backlinks. What is the most expedient way other than creating quality content to generate backlinks to your new niche blog while still keeping the entire process white hat? So white hat is when you, the interesting thing about Jay's question is that, you know, what Google wants you to do is create quality content, you know, and that's what you want to get links to um, because links to specific pages that uh, are, you know, targeted at, at certain keywords, which are just the language searchers use when, they, when they're looking for stuff, um, that's what Google ranks, you know. So you can, I guess I'm maybe splitting hairs here to a degree, but there is no way to, to really generate backlinks, white hat backlinks without creating quality content. But I think what he's asking is, I think is that of course you have to create quality content. Um, and sometimes that's going to create natural linking behavior, um, you know, as it gets exposure, which is that's approach number one always. So we're going to assume that's a approach number one with Jay. Right. And, and the rest of his question is, again, goes back to um, the earlier question, which is uh, content promotion, relationships, you know, um, both in social networks and in the real world. Because, you know, uh, Rand Fishkin of, uh, I keep mentioning Rand. I mean, we got to charge SEO Ma as a promotional <laughs> fee for this. I'll send that out right now. Yeah. Yeah. Send him an invoice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he had a kind of snarky post about, you know, head slapping tip number 20, you know, form relationships instead of beg for links, right? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, some a lot of people, and it, it's changing, I think. And with the emergence of social media, people are slapping their head and going, oh, it's social. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not about sitting at my computer in my underwear, you know, uh, not um, communicating with fellow human beings. Um, we can communicate with fellow human beings in more efficient ways than ever without being in the same room with them, you know, but, uh, it still comes down to people. Um, when people are aware of your stuff and it's good, uh, they share it. It tends to get more exposure. People tend to link to it. That's the more organic side of it. Uh, but when you have business relationships or just friends, uh, that are in rele- you know relevant to your uh, topic or niche, um, they're also going to to scratch your back, um, you know, in, in the expectation that every once in a while you're going to tweet their content or maybe link to them. So you know, in the bad old days, you had these reciprocal link farms. Uh, again, the real estate industry was horrible about this. They'd all just get together and say, "I'll link to you if you link to me." Yeah. Um, and Google slapped that down a long time ago. But now it, it's more organic um, in the sense that, you know, I never talk to Darren Rouse or, or Chris Brogan and say, hey, if you link to me, I'll link to you. Not once. They've never said that to me either. That would be ridiculous and childish, you know. Um, but we link to each other all the time. And, you know, occasionally, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go to Darren and say, hey, check this out. I think it's a good match for for ProBlogger, and he'll tweet it. And they do the same to me. But that's not the same thing as some kind of just cold reciprocal 
you know, agreement. It's yeah. more like, Hey, we're friends. You know, I do good stuff. You do good stuff. You might want to look at this one if you haven't seen it yet. But most of the time when I'm tweeting Darren stuff, it's just because I'm reading his blog and I like it. You know? <laughs> and it's useful and specific to, right. yeah, either audience. My audience yep. Right. That's yep. the main thing. Again, no one's going to link to you unless there's something in it for them. Yep. Um, Seth Godin and Hugh McLeod basically, you know, said that years ago, no one does really anything just out of the goodness of their heart. I mean, it's in the furtherance of the relationship or because it's good for the readers, hopefully both. Um, so you got to keep that in mind. But if you don't have any relevant relationships, you're not going to get any links unless your content is so good um, that it gets noticed and it goes from there. And that happens. So I'll just go back to premise number one, which is make that great content because that's the catalyst for everything. It just depends on how much of a push do you have to get it in order to get that uh, distribution. Um, you know, another way to put this also is that retweets are links. Um, everything on Facebook, even though it's behind a wall garden, um, Google's collecting data, especially from likes and shares that are outside the wall garden of Facebook, right? Mm. So Google is evolving to take into account how people, quote unquote, link these days. It used to be heavily on blogs. Now all the content sharing is really happening. You know, I tweet more links than we ever link to, you know, per week, right? So Google is taking into account how people share content and they have to because that's how they determine relevance and value. All right. Good lead into the next question from Lorraine Arams. Um, what is, and this is a big one, what is the very best system of all to drive traffic? There is one, right? <laughs> yeah, content. <laughs> I'm sorry, Lorraine, but I'm not going to elaborate on that one. That's basically what Copyblogger is about. So yeah. Yeah. Dive into the archive. Got pages and pages and pages for you there. Go to uh, Content Marketing 101. Um, it's in the, the second link in the red sidebar and start there. I mean, if there were a better way, I mean, drive traffic, you can buy it with pay-per-click. You have to be very good at converting it or you're going to lose money. Um, you can buy it through banner ads or Facebook ads. A same deal. You have to be able to get a return on investment and you better be really good at uh, conversion. But if you're talking about, you know, the holy grail of, you know, social media, direct and search engine traffic, it's content, period. Yeah. Um, Annalise Marcus. This is an interesting one, especially because we have uh, a lot of guest writers on copy bloggers. She says, I'm editing my company's blog posts, which are submitted by all employees. How do I balance a consistent brand identity and voice with the variety of voices and styles of our employees? That's an interesting, that's really a good question. Um, and Robert, you may want to chime in here. Yeah. Um, but okay. So yes, we have a ton of writers, um, on copy blogger and, um, I don't know what the practice is on other blogs today, but, you know, from the beginning, um, when I accepted my first guest post, I always edited the post for the writers. Um, mm -hmm. and because we do treat it again, like, uh, like a magazine more than, you know, this somehow free form blogging thing where, you know, typos and I mean, we're a copywriting blog. I mean, <laughs> if yeah. we put out something that isn't top-notch, um, it's just not going to reflect well on us. And I think this has become more common. But yeah, in the early days, I would, I would rewrite um, you know, or edit post. And on a couple of occasions, I rewrote someone else's complete post and, and left their name on it, <laughs> which they appreciated because it, it rocked. Um, yeah. And even today, you guys know that I'm the last line of defense. Before a post goes out, I often re rewrite the headline. Yeah, um, but for the most part, Sonia does all the editing, and yep. she selects which post to run, and then she edits them so that they are consistent—not in voice, but in style and um, basic uh, 
high level of writing that that copy blogger is it, what's expected from copy blogger. Let me put it that way. Yeah. Um, so we let the individual author's voice shine through um, to the extent that it has one. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we'll get a nice substantive post and it's got no voice at all. So we add some, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, it's uh, all of this is designed not only to protect the integrity of, of copy blogger from an editorial standpoint, but also to make the writer look great. We take care of our writers. You know, we want them to get everything that they're getting that they expect out of writing a guest post, right? Cause they're not doing it for their health. Um, they're doing it for exposure, access to our subscriber base, the link back to their site. So the better they do, the better they do, right? Okay. Yeah. That all said, Robert, of course, is um, working with Sonia now on that job, and Robert's uh, grooming himself for the job. Um, Gro- grooming myself. <laughs> at least in one sense, you're grooming yourself. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> So I'm going to let you, what have you seen um, from, uh, yeah. uh, you know, kind of stepping into this role uh, in, in, in kind of addressing uh, Annalise's question? Yeah, I wish uh, Sonia were here to answer this uh, really great, but you, you covered it well. Um, and, and really what happens is stuff comes in and there's kind of an initial culling. I'm not going to go through the whole process, but one thing that I think is really important is... Um, Relevance, just, I mean, this might be 101 basic stuff, but relevance to whatever editorial uh, mission that you have set for that blog, Annalise. And like Brian said, the the voice is actually, the differing of voices is actually a really good thing because it changes things up. Uh, one person's voice is going to appeal to a certain group of people and vice versa. Other, other voices will appeal to others. But as long as you know, the, the main topic is driving forward your editorial vision and mission. Um, and then followed up by all the, you know, the cleanup in grammar, punctuation, all the little things up to even some of the bigger structural changes and what could be argued, you know, definitely one of, if not the most important thing, the headline, um, helping people along with that. That's really, really kind of it. Um, but that, that, central relevancy toward what you're trying to get at kind of always has to be there. Otherwise, again, like Brian said, we're just kind of a mishmash community blog kind of thing, which is, I'm guessing, not what you want to get at. So this is something I think, um, I think we can, I'm going to put notes down for next season too. I'll get Sonia in here and, and expand on this because it's really, it's really a good topic and a great question. Yeah. As you know, as content marketing intensifies, we saw it really break through Everywhere from the big enterprise level on down, everyone gets it. This is, uh, you know, this is the way you get traffic, which also um, builds an audience, which also increases sales because you're educating the audience enough to do business with you while getting them to trust you, et cetera. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, But yeah, you know, more and more, I think we're going to have to talk about how to run a magazine. Yeah, I like that. uh, You know, uh, because you're seeing all the stuff with um, with uh, digital magazines and applications and eBooks on every on the iPad. um, You know, and it goes all the way across to the web. Uh, I expect to see a lot of growing up in this space. I think it's already started, um, and it was always my mission for copy blogger since day one to be a part of that. And I think we've helped, you know, to a certain degree, I hope certainly. Um, Cause I remember how bad the average writing was on a blog <laughs> back when we started. I mean, there were some people who were excellent writers and it showed, um, but there were a lot of people who just thought blogging was about whatever you didn't have to worry about, you know, anything because when blogging first started it was a novelty and and a community built up around the concept that was very far from mainstream now with social media going mainstream people don't expect to read gibberish you know also robert uh i want to ask you this because you have some very strong opinions even internally about um the dominant voice of a publication do you think that uh, Annalise should, should have 
a star or main voice that all the others uh, revolve around, or can she be more egalitarian about it? Depending on what she's trying to do, obviously we don't know what type of specifically, you know, topics and, and what type of company she's blogging. Uh, this blog is, is for, I like the idea of a strong voice. I think a strong voice overall is a good thing. One thing I think that people overlook and particularly with a site like Copyblogger, is that mm, this is not necessarily related to voice, but like you chose this topic very clearly, very specifically, um, though it changed and evolved over time, you made a very specific decision on the topic you were going to write about and continue writing about over the years. And so naturally, because you were the only one doing it at the beginning, that was going to be your voice. Um, I like the idea of the strength of that voice in terms of storytelling, in terms of engagement, you know, the, uh, if we're talking about, should it be toned down, you know, for, to a more corporate kind of style, uh, my, my take, my opinion would be absolutely not because we're already brushing away, you know, how many messages we get so much coming at us all the time. That voice has to be strong and a person, you know, makes an instant decision nowadays uh, about whether they're going to listen to it or not. And so, yeah, I'd, I'd argue for that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting because, um, we've, we've got several, um, and, and certainly I've gone into the background. It started out as me and I always wanted it to be about the, the brand, you know, the, the publication, not about me, uh, for some reason, it stuck with me, but then you've got Sonia's <laughs> voice that came through and then now yours. Um, but yeah, I agree with that. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be the founder or, uh, you know, and sometimes the audience will identify who that voice is. Yeah. And this is, you know, one of the beauties of social media is you start somewhere, you put something out there, but then you've got to listen and observe and watch and adapt because um, the audience feedback is invaluable. It doesn't mean you have to do exactly what they tell you because often they don't know what they want, but there's all sorts of amazing feedback that comes in the way of comments and retweets and, and all this kind of stuff. So pay attention to what the audience is saying and, and they'll give you a lot of information about making editorial decisions. All right, Ivan Walsh, uh, what have you learned from the iTunes podcast show did it impact sales, traffic, signups, et cetera? And uh, he's asking, when's it on again? Oh, so he's talking about this very show? This very show. This very show. Internet okay. Marketing for Smart People Radio. Well, I think we're going to be back with season two in September, give or take a month. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll, we'll be back in <laughs> September. Um, but yeah, what have we learned? Um and again, Robert, I want you to chime in on this, but, uh, yeah, it's been fascinating. What we learned is we really enjoy doing these shows, even though sometimes it's hard to find time when you're yeah. busy or you're tired or whatever, you know, usually Robert and I start the shows by talking to each other for 30 minutes about how much we don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. And then we start and then we totally get into it and we have a blast and then we get off and we're like, Oh, that was fun. You know, it, it's very weird. Um, but uh, beyond that, um, the main idea for the show uh, was to offer our first alternative uh, media format, right? So we were pretty much always a, a, a written, you know, magazine, if you will, blog um, with the occasional embedded video, you know, if I wanted to post uh, you know, the guitar battle between Steve Vai and the Karate Kid, you know. <laughs> Um, but you know, so we wanted to become more multimedia and I think next year you'll see us expand, uh, that into a, a little bit more original video as well. So that was one goal. The other goal was to expand upon the things that we post on, uh, the general blog in not only a different format, uh, but you know, in a more conversational way. So little nuggets of stuff would come out that either clarified or elaborated on what was in, you know, a particular post 
or especially among the core concepts that we talk about, like content marketing, copywriting, headlines, you know, landing pages, et cetera. And then finally, um, we hoped that the show, um, on a show by show basis would, um, deliver enough value and spark enough interest for people to sign up for the internet marketing for smart people, 20 part course, um, which is really kind of the systematic take you through it, uh, with backup references throughout the archives of five years so that people could really get systematically what we're talking about here. Um, because it goes back to something I said earlier. Um, well, two things really. Number one, email marketing is not dead. Email is still the most powerful channel um, when you're actually trying to sell things. Number two, um, we are educating people, uh, truly educating them to the point where they can do business with us. Because you know, you may buy uh, a Studio Press uh, theme, you may get Genesis in, in one of our uh, child themes to start your blog. Uh, while you're still learning, okay? Um, but you're probably not going to invest in Scribe, our SEO service, and you're probably not going to invest in, in our landing page product premise until you know how to really use those things, right? Yeah. So, again, it comes back to, right, it, it comes back to practicing what we preach. I mean, it's not just about traffic. It's about truly getting someone comfortable both knowledge-wise and, and trust-wise, to say, I get it, you know, and I see how that helps me. I see how Premise helps me. I see how Scribe helps me. Uh, and now, you know, this is basically our model. So I think uh, since we started the radio show, we've added over 10,000 email subscribers um, to the 20-part course, and uh, we've gotten a lot of great feedback from that. So as far as I'm concerned the first season of, of this show has, has been a success. Uh, we, we achieved our goals um, as far as, it, uh, you know, sales that resulted directly from the show. We're not tracking that. I have no idea. Um, but we do know that once people take the course, um, a lot of them say, cool, you know, I want to do business with you guys. And that's the gist of content marketing right there. Yeah. It's another way to reach out and be, I mean, video is, is phenomenal for this, but, um, of course, but to hear the voices of the people that you're, you know, hanging out with, um, you know, reading every day and maybe even potentially buying from is, you know, really amazingly powerful. I mean, we all know it. I, I am a, a nut about radio going all the way back to the beginning, uh, the beginnings of the, the art. And, um, uh, I think there is something particularly cool about audio. Like you said before, you know, it's portability. Um, people can take it anywhere with them and they can, um, you know, continue kind of working on what they're working on, uh, which is just a really unique thing in media. There's uh, um, not much else, if anything else, that, that in, in media that, that that can be done with. But it's also very intimate and it builds that relationship. Um, this is for a very specific group of copy blogger reader, readers. We want it to be for everybody, but we know that, that not everybody's going to listen in. But for those who do, it, I think, is a really cool thing. At least the feedback we've gotten has been really good. And it's kind of, you know irreplaceable. There's no other, there's no better way to do it for those people. So, um, but yeah, uh, it's been great for the, uh, internet marketing for smart people email list. Um, and it's, it's been a good exercise too, in talking these ideas out because a lot of us, many of you out there, you are at the desk, at the computer, uh, typing all day long. And it's, it's kind of an interesting thing to talk these things through my two cents, but, um, yeah, yeah anything and else? We, we're gonna yeah, we're gonna take it a little easy this summer, although generally that means we'll just be working on stuff behind the scenes. But uh yep. yeah, if you haven't taken the twenty part course yet, hop on there. You'll be done with it by the time we start season two of the show. And uh I think we're gonna try to take it up a notch next year, Robert. Is that yeah, we're talking going? about some interesting things that I don't know if it's safe or legal to discuss right now. Um, <laughs> there'll be, we're going to run that by, 
by uh, the legal department. Uh, but it's going to be, I think it's going to be good. Yeah. Cool. All right, Robert. Well, I have to thank you for putting up um, with my bad jokes uh, <laughs> for an entire season. And that that's commendable in itself. So, yeah. Well, it's been great listening to you go on and on and on and on uh, about all of this stuff. I know I've <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> I've uh, obviously I've learned a lot, and uh, yeah, thanks for uh, taking the time to do it. Uh, it was you know almost week after week for you in this initial uh, episode. I'm sure you know we'll, we're going to do much much more of that. But yeah, we've got some cool things coming up season two. So hang in there, everybody, and. Um, Brian, I'll see you in September. Yeah, man. Take care. Internet marketing for smart people. Radio. Weekly tips for building and marketing your profitable business online. From copyblogger.com.